Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would just give me the words to say, God, that we would listen to what your spirit has to say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the book of Daniel. This is one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. And it's one of those books that I spent about a half a year on about eight years ago um, studying, and it just blew my mind. How many have ever read the book of Daniel and been confused? Anybody? How many of you like saw like King of the North, King of the South, or a lion with four wings, or a leopard? Um, not sorry, not a lion for a lion with the head of a man, and or a leopard with four wings, and a ram with two horns. How many have ever seen that and been like, what the heck? Anybody? All right. Well, we're gonna clear all that up. Um, this week. Um, but we're also going to have a focus on God's pursuit of the man. And I really want to spend probably more time on Daniel's life than the prophecy. We're going to get the prophecies and um, we're going we're gonna to look at some of them and explain some of the main ones and how they work so that when you read Daniel, you're like, oh, I'm not confused anymore. All right. So we're going to go through some of that. I'm just going to give you a little background before we started. Daniel was uh, exiled from the first of three deportations from the, the land of Israel. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar um, came in um, after his father had kind of risen to power. Um, Nebuchadnezzar was actually a new king on the throne. And when he came into Jerusalem, he had just recently come to power. And um, he had defeated the Egyptian king, I believe his name was Scopus, and um, he came in and he um, he uh, took took uh, the first captivity of Babylon to, to Babylon. So Daniel was in the first exile, and that was in 605 BC. Um, this was under the the reign of King Jehoiakim, and um, he was there was two more kings after him. So the, the Israel Judah continued for a while, but it was under Babylonian influence, and it was as after one of the the captivities. He was of the royal family in the line of David, and he was captured as a youth around 13 or 14 years old. Um, just a little more background. Psalm 137 is a really good example of, of what it was like to be captured by Nebuchadnezzar. And if we, we want to look at that, actually. I didn't actually put it on the screen. Um, let's look at that real quick. This is actually, we're going to talk a little bit about biblical interpretation too. So we got a lot coming in. Psalm 137 is actually one of the top hits for philosophy teachers to destroy your kid's faith in college. So um, this is actually a really good psalm to look at. And there's actually a top 10 list. We actually went through it in church. Um, this is like one of the top 10. So let's look at Psalm 137 and give us a little background. All right. Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there those who carried it away captive asked of us a song, and those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. 
If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy, remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it to its foundation. O daughter of Babylon, who are to be destroyed, happy the one who repays you as you have served us. Happy the one who takes and dashes your little ones against the rocks. Amen. Happy, blessed are the one who smashes your children's heads against the stones. Um, the philosophy teachers who hate Christianity love this chapter. But this is about the Babylonian exile. And we don't know everything about Psalm 137, but we do know a couple things. Number one, we know it was written by a priest. All right? And when we talk about bashing children's heads against stones. Does God want us to bash children's heads against stones? Of course not. And this is what they do. They say, look, God wants you to bash children's heads against stones. Well, we got to look at it and we're going to look at some basic interpretation. First of all, this is not God speaking. This is a poem from a Jewish priest who has just experienced the wrath of the Babylonians. All right? And when a bad when the Babylonian army came into Jerusalem, this is stuff I got from a man meaning by the Shane Willard, if you're looking for resources. Awesome, Shane Willard. Um, what they would do is they would come into the city and they would destroy a lot of things, but they would take your people, and if you were under the age of eight, they would take your children and they would smash their heads against the rocks to kill them. And so he's recounting what he saw happen to his children. On top of that, if you're married, they would gang rape your wife till she died. Then on top of that, if you're over the age of eight, if you're a girl, you'd be a sex slave. If you're a boy, you'd be sold into slavery. If you were the royal priestly family, which this man would have been, and Daniel as well, as we're going to see, um, they would have taken two rocks and crushed testicles. And not only that, they destroyed the temple. So when you have Nebuchadnezzar come into your home city, you lose everything. Daniel would have lost everything. Ezekiel would have lost everything. So not only do they lose their family, their children, their wife, see their children sold into slavery, they also lose their manhood, their identity as a people, and their religion. Psalm 137 is a testimony of a person who is in a place of authority during the Babylonian exile who has lost everything. And then, you know, you can actually read in the history books, actually after they were exiled, they actually had a pretty good life after that. So it's actually, you have this huge destruction and there's a psychological gain here. Then they take them to Babylon and they actually do quite well. And you know, you look at Jeremiah 29, 11, where I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. What is the context? It's to plant gardens in Babylon and dwell there. So you're, there are people who have lost everything and God's saying, take the opportunity in your captivity and do well. That's what he's saying. 
So that gives us a background to what Daniel would have faced in a deportation. Now you have some handouts, and we're gonna come back and we're gonna we're gonna look at some details. And I, I need a handout, I don't know what I did with them. Oh, my wife has them. All right. Um I was really frustrated this week because I have I have about a 20, 25 week study on Daniel, and I'm like, I wanna do it all. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't. So what I did is I took all the major themes prophecies and ideas, and I put them in a handout in a quick guide commentary. So um, this is meant to, if you just read this straight, it's going to make no sense. It's meant to read along with your Bible to help you navigate the book of Daniel. Now, I promised last night I would do a flyover. And so we're going to do a flyover of the whole book of Daniel in about 20 minutes, and then we're going to dive into some depth. And I see Kendall has a scared look on his face right now. <laughs> you should. Ask Justin. Should you be scared, Justin? I've heard this three times, and it's never the same. <laughs> so, um, have I taught it twice at Son's Life? I think I've only... Cassidy and, and then the Bible study. Oh, I taught parts yeah. of it at Cassidy. That's right. Just a little bit. Yep. Yeah, like I said, because I know I'll get more. So, yeah. Okay. I don't remember a fourth, but... um. Oh, no, this is... Yeah, but you, I taught it at Colling years ago. You weren't there. So anyway. All right. So I'm going to give you the basic themes and ideas in every chapter really fast. So follow around fast and don't blink. You'll miss something. So chapter one, I just labeled the preparation. This is 605 BC, uh, first captivity. And the idea in here, the main idea is honoring wicked authority. I just gave you an example of what wicked looks like while still honoring God is the main theme of chapter one. Chapter two, it's prehistory of world kingdoms from the vision of a man. And you'll see I put two and seven. And you might want to note this in your Bible, that chapter two and chapter seven are the same prophetic sequence. So it's telling us the exact same thing in a different way. So if you want to make that note, chapter two and chapter seven are parallel. So that, that'll, that'll make things make a lot more sense in the book of Daniel. So in chapter two, it gives us a, an image of a statue. We're going to talk more about this tomorrow. And the statue is set up in four precious metals. And the metals represent four kingdoms that are to come. First, Babylon, which we're in now with Daniel which is represented by Nebuchadnezzar. The Medo-Persians, we're going to talk more about the symbolism of this tomorrow. The Greeks, and then finally the Romans, and then a revitalized Rome in the end time. And then the last kingdom is a rock that destroys them all. And that rock is Christ. So we're going to see, we're going to see a progression of kingdoms to come. Most of what's in Daniel 2 and 10 or seven is actually ancient history now. It's already happened, but Daniel prophesied much of it as much as 300 years before it actually happened, which is amazing. And a lot of com the liberal commentators is like, oh, Daniel's a forgery. Well, we know Daniel's not a forgery because Jesus said it wasn't a forgery. 
And that's the best way to know that it's not a forgery. In Matthew 25, it says the abomination of desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, which is actually found in Daniel chapter 12. And we're going to see there's actually two abominations of the desolations. We'll talk. I don't know if we'll get to it, but um, we, may, we, might, we might talk about that. So chapter 2 gives it a Daniel, the, the progression of kingdoms to come from man's perspective in metal. In other words, he say, he's saying to man they're precious. In chapter 7, it gives the progression of kingdoms to come in the form of beasts. In other words, chapter 7 is the way that God sees kingdoms, not how man sees kingdoms. So it's from the perspective of God and from the perspective of man. So that might be another good note to write in your Bible. Chapter 2 is the progression of kingdoms in the way that man sees kingdoms as valuable. Chapter 7 is the progression of kingdoms in the way that God sees them as beasts. And we're going to get more into 7, so I'm not going to be a spoiler on that one. Um, some of these other chapters we won't hit as much. I might spoil a little bit. All right, I'm just flying over this and not going through all of it. Um, this is for you if you want to study this on your own. Chapter three, the main theme is Nebuchadnezzar's pride and the frailty of man. And we're going to see a lot of what we're going to call remez. This is a Hebrew word, and we're going to get more into that later today, actually. Um, so we're going to see the frailty of man and Nebuchadnezzar's response to God. Chapter four is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony and conversion. And this is um, really speaks to God humbling the hearts of men and bringing them to a place of praising him. Um, we, this is one of the main themes I want to talk about this week is God's pursuit of the man. And we're really going to get into chapter four a lot. Chapter five. Um, it is about Belshazzar, who's another king of Babylon and the last king of Babylon. And um, this is the one about the writing on the wall. And we're not going to cover this very much. So I'm going to give it a little bit more on this one. How many of you ever wonder what many, many tikal parzin means? Anybody? When you read Daniel chapter 5. Anybody wonder about that? It does explain it a little bit. But many is the unit of measure of 50 shekels. So it says, basically what it's saying is that you've been measured on our unit of money. You've been measured. You've been measured. Tekel is one shekel by the system of the shekel. And Uparzin is the half a shekel. So what it is, is actually a series of monetary values. And so they would have known the words. He's just putting up a formula. So it's like a formula of weight. You're being measured, Belshazzar. And um, you have been found wanting. And so um, you have been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So what it is, is actually a judgment of God. And there's a lot of good things on the finger of God here, right? The fingers writing in the plaster. What other, what other examples can you think of a finger of God? Anybody? Jesus writing in his finger. Yes. Is it John chapter 8, I believe? Um, the woman caught in the act of adultery. We know that that place was actually stone. <laughs> so you have Jesus, who's the son of God. He's writing on the paving stones, right? And what's the, ma the main thing the finger of God is the Ten Commandments. Whenever we see the finger of God, we're seeing judgment. But judgment is always followed by a period of mercy. 
Belshazzar, in the book of chapter 5, it says, even though you knew these things about Nebuchadnezzar, you knew that God humbled him, you knew that God converted him, and yet you have taken my articles from the temple and have profaned them, and his finger was written on the wall in judgment. So um, some great themes there. Chapter 6 is Daniel in the lion's den. Um, Chapter 6 is actually into the next kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. Um, There's there's some interesting things here. It talks about Darius the Mede. It's a little bit confusing. Um, Darius the Mede, in history, we think his actual name on the Nabonidus cylinder, which you probably don't care about, his name was Guberu, um, was another name for him. And he was a co-regent with Cyrus. Now, Cyrus is very important if you've read the book of Isaiah. Um, Maybe we will talk about that a little bit. So the major theme of chapter 6 is that despite a decree or crisis, our prayer life should be firm in the midst of trouble. Remember Daniel, it says this, that even though they issued a decree that no one should be worshipped except for Darius, he said just as he had always done, he opened his windows towards Jerusalem three times a day and prayed just as he always had. Wow. There's a great lesson there for us, isn't there? We always stay firm no matter what the situation is. I'm skipping chapter 7 because we already covered it. Remember chapter 7 is the, is the kingdoms of beast. Chapter 8 is the vision of the ram and the goat. Now the ram and the goat is another one of those um, animal ones that tells us about kingdoms to come. And Daniel chapter 7 is like, and 2 are the key to the four kingdoms, but chapter 8 is actually going to give us more details about some of those kingdoms, particularly the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks. So when you see the idea of a ram with two horns, the ram with two horns represents the kingdom of Medo-Persia. And one of the horns was longer than the other, representing the dominance of the Persians over the Medes. In other words, the Persians were stronger. So that gives you a little bit of the um, commentary on the animals there. And I don't plan on covering this much. So that's why I'm giving it to you now. The other ones we're going we're gonna to cover later. The goat is represented by Alexander the Great. The goat is Alexander the Great, and he has one prominent horn. And it says that he moved very swiftly with great power over the whole face of the earth. See, the Persians had decimated the Greek homeland um, many, many years prior, 150 years prior. And the Greeks had come out okay in the end, but they had just done a ton of damage. And the Greeks hated the Persians. So when Alexander the Great came to power, he had a, a bone to pick with them, you could say. And so he came at them very, very furiously with this one horn. So Alexander the Great represents one horn as a leader. And he decimated the Persians in three battles. There was actually, some commentators think the Persians had five million troops. I believe Alexander the Great had, I think it was 35,000. And Alexander the Great decimated them. And so um, the, the, the goat that comes at them with great power is Alexander the Great, decimates the Persians, and destroys them. Then it says that when this happened, that the, the horn 
of Alexander the Great was broken. Now, Alexander the Great became king when he was actually 20 years old. And he only ruled for 13 years. He conquered the entire known world in 13 years. And um, he actually... When he got to a place where there was nothing left to conquer, the history says that he wept. And he wept that there was nothing left to conquer. He went out into the rain, got into a drunken stupor, got cold, caught pneumonia, and died. Because he was so depressed that he had nothing left to do. While he was on his deathbed, they asked, who will take over the kingdom? And Alexander said, to the strongest. And so his four generals um, took over the kingdom and fought brutally for it. And we had four kingdoms arise out of Alexander the Great. Now listen to the prophecy. The, the, the goat that went against Persia did so with great furiousness, but then his horn was broken and four grew up to replace him. Um, I can't remember all their names. Cassandra, Ptolemy, Seleucus, and um, I can't remember the fourth. I'm sorry, Hopan. But um, those four guys actually took over the kingdom, just as Daniel had said 300 years prior. So, chapter nine. Oh, I want to, I'll give you a little more on chapter eight. <laughs> Out of the one horn, it says that a small horn grew up. This is actually really key. I, don't, I want to make sure I cover this. It says that a small horn grew up out of one of the horns. This horn is actually Antiochus IV Epiphanes. If you want to write that in your Bible, Antiochus is actually a precursor to Antichrist. And you will see that in, in, this, in the book of Daniel, I haven't talked about seven much, but in chapter seven, in the end times, it talks about a little horn that's going to grow up among 10 horns. Um, so there's going to be a leader that grows up among 10. And the little horn there is Antichrist. The little horn of chapter eight is Antiochus IV Epiphanes. And we know that from history because he came out of a Greek kingdom. And Antiochus IV Epiphanes, um, by some commentators, um, he killed between 40 to 100,000 Jews in a day in Jerusalem. Sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple to Zeus um, and defiled it. And that's actually where we get Hanukkah. There's some really great stories in there. And, um, and uh, he gives a prophecy in there of 2,300 evenings and mornings. And it actually gives the exact timeline for um, the, the desecration and then the actual restoration by the Maccabeans. So there's a lot of great stuff in Daniel chapter eight. All right, now I'll go to nine. Chapter nine is called the key to all Bible prophecy. Quite often by, by, um, by uh, commentators. But I love, and that's the second half, but I love the first half because the first half, and nine, ten, nine and 10 are my favorite chapters in Daniel. I don't think we're going to cover them this week. So I got to talk a little bit about it today. Um, chapter nine, Daniel is actually on his knees repenting for the sins of Israel. Now, remember where Daniel was. When he was 13 years old, he came and he made a stand for God that was incredible. And we're going to talk about that today. But um, 
Daniel, there is no actual written record of anything Daniel ever did wrong in his life. I'm not saying he was sinless. Of course he was not. But Daniel was a righteous man. And yet he was on his knees praying earnestly for the forgiveness of God for the sins of his people. And so Daniel sets an example for us. Even though if we're not people that are committing sins that our nation is committing, let's say like in fornication or or homosexuality or um, abortion or any of these big ones that we think of, we need to be on our knees repenting for our nation. Because that's what Daniel did. And for, for days, Daniel was on his knees repenting for the nation because he had realized that 67 years had passed since his captivity. And the prophet Jeremiah has prophesied that 70 years would be for the desolation of Israel. And then they would be restored to their land. And it actually happened exactly as he said under, the, under Cyrus. So 67 years had passed. And Daniel is praying earnestly what he already knew. There's, already, there's also another good lesson there, isn't there? And I, I know I'm covering a lot today. This is okay. Um, but we need to pray the prophetic words that have been given over our lives. You know, there's, I know a lot of us have had times where somebody has come to me and said, thus says the Lord in your life. We need to be praying about those things that we know. We need to be praying about scripture over our lives. Things that God has promised to us in our, his word, even though they have been promised, we need to be praying for them on our knees in humble repentance, just as Daniel had done. Daniel was probably the guy who needed to repent less than anybody else that I've ever read about in the Bible. And yet Daniel needed it. So you need it as well. Then God gave Daniel a great response. And I'm actually going to read this in my Bible because this is just amazing. Daniel 9. We're going to look at 20, uh, 24. He said this, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish transgression, to finish sin. So how we finish transgression? Jesus, right? So 70 weeks are finished to finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Iniquity is one of those actual things that there's actually a level of sins. I know people like don't like this idea. If you don't like it, that's okay. We can talk about it later. Um, you know, God actually gave us um, iniquity, sin, transgression, and they're all different words in the Hebrew, and we can talk about that more another time, not today or probably this week. But iniquity was the sin of your heart. Remember Jesus said, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery from your heart. That's iniquity. Sin sin is also the heart and transgression is actually to go and commit adultery. So, so he's saying they're going to finish transgression. They're going to finish the actual deed. They're going to make an end to sin. So what's in your heart? God's going to actually take care of the heart issue and he's going to actually finish iniquity. So like whatever's starting in your heart. This is actually a remez we're going to talk about later. If you look at the word iniquity in Hebrew, um, that's spelled ein, vav, nun. And every letter is actually a picture. 
And it actually, they say that every letter has 70 facets of meaning. <laughs> so if you want to like think, oh, I know the Bible really well. Actually, you need to study every letter because there's actually another 70 facets of meaning in every letter and every word. So this is actually really cool. So Ein is actually a picture of an eyeball. Vav is a picture of a nail or a hook. And noon is a picture of fish multiplying. So whatever your eye hooks to multiplies. So Jesus actually, he's saying that they're actually going to take care of not only transgression and sin, they're going to actually take the thing that you just looked at and you're starting to think about and it's starting to multiply in your heart. And he's going to take care of that too. Isn't that good news? Pretty awesome. So now I'm on my little bunny trail. I'm sorry. <laughs> to bring in everlasting righteousness. Jesus is your righteousness, right? Yeah. To seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. And then it goes on to know this and understand this. From the issue of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, which is actually found in Nehemiah 2. And that's in 444 or 445 BC. We don't really know. And I'm not going to go through the whole prophecy as much as I want to. But it's 70 weeks of years or 490 years from 445 or 444 BC, depending on who you read. And it's a time clock. So you have um, 62, I'm sorry, seven sevens, which is 49 years, the amount of time it took to rebuild the city and the temple. And then you have um, 62 sevens, which is the time to the very day that Jesus came in riding on a donkey and gave himself. He prophesied it to the very day. So I'd encourage you. I'm not going to cover it this week. Other than that, go study it. It's awesome. So it's 483 years. And then we have a time clock stop, which gives us 490 minus 483 is where do you see seven in the Bible? Yeah, but time-wise. Revelation, right? Tribulation. So we have seven years left before God anoints God actually brings in his kingdom. So there's a lot of cool stuff in Daniel chapter 9. Chapter 10 is probably one of my favorite chapters. Um, they're all my favorite chapters. <laughs> chapter, chapter 10 is actually a Christophany, which is an vision of Jesus. And Daniel actually has a vision of Jesus in the first half. And it says... Um, I just love it. It's a vision of Jesus. But it actually gives a, de a description of him that matches what you see in Revelation chapter 1. So chapter 10, if you want to see what Jesus looked like in the Old Testament, it's the same as in the New Testament in Revelation 1, um, uh, verse 13 and 15. So you might want to just make a note that, to compare those. We're actually seeing Jesus. And then the angel... And I could, I could just go over to Randy and Marley's tent right now because they're doing spiritual warfare. Give us a really good insight into spiritual warfare. Daniel had been fasting and praying for 21 days. And um, it says that from the moment that you began to pray, an answer was given. But Michael was actually intercepted by the Prince of Persia. The Prince of Persia is referring to a demonic spirit that was over that kingdom. And they did warfare in the heavenlies. But Daniel persisted in prayer. When we persist in prayer, it actually fuels the spiritual battle is above our heads. And chapter 10 gives us insight into that spiritual warfare. Chapter 11 is probably the most amazing chapter. Have I said that already? <laughs> 
and probably the most boring, and it's about half of your study guide, I am not going to cover chapter 11 because you will all go over to the other 10, which would be probably a good idea anyway. They're awesome over there. Um, chapter 11 is a um, 300 and some year or so commentary on two of the generals in the Greek empire before it happened. And somebody said there was 140-some fulfilled prophecies in chapter 11 alone. I didn't count them, and I don't believe them, and that there's that many, but 100 maybe. Um, and I wrote it out on the sheet, and uh, I wrote down who the king of the north is and the king of the south, because it's always somebody different is next ruler in line. So if you read chapter 11 with the study guide, and you just follow along verse by verse, you'll know you can write all their names in if you want to, if you're a history nerd like me. If you're not a history nerd like me, know this. This is a good summary of it. That chapter 11 gives us um, the fight between the Seleucid, or the, the empire in the north, and the Ptolemies, the empire in the south, and how they affected the nation of Israel in the midst of it, leading up to the, the first little horn which is Antiochus IV Epiphanes. So when you look at chapter 11, it's kind of like Revelation for us. Chapter 11 gives us prophecy of what's to come for the people of Daniel in his time and leading up to what would be a picture of Antichrist. And Antiochus IV actually came on the scene in the 160s and... Um, when he was done with the Israel, the, Jew, the Jews in Jerusalem, they say that he killed up to 100,000 people in a day in the city of Jerusalem. Some of the things he did is he made giant skillets and fried them alive. He um, would take women um, with their infants. He would um, disembowel them, wrap their innards around their necks, and push the mothers off the wall were some of the things he did. They invented crucifixion. Um, he did some terrible, terrible things to God's people. And chapter 11 was actually the warnings of what was coming leading up to the first little horn, which is kind of confusing because that's chapter 8, and the other little horn that we, we're looking for is in chapter 7. So there's two little horns. Chapter 8 is Antiochus. Chapter 7 is the Antichrist to come. Am I losing anybody? Are we good? Overload? <laughs> okay. So, um, so if you want to remember what chapter 11 about, it was their revelation for their first Antichrist to come. I got to skip way ahead because it's like half your study guide to get to chapter 12. And I think it's just a little blurb on the very end. Remember, right? Yeah, go to the last page. Finally, chapter 12. Chapter 12 is a New Testament revelation of Guess what, Daniel? Someday you're going to sleep and you're going to wake up to everlasting life. It's the only time in the Old, New Test, Old Testament that I know of that talks about going to heaven when you die. So um, chapter, chapter 12 is awesome. And it also talks about in the end of chapter 12, the, another abomination of desolation. And that's the one that Jesus referred to that was to come in the form of the Antichrist. But it also talks about the blessing at the end of the tribulation period. All right, that's that's the whole book of Daniel. We can all go home. Just kidding. <laughs> 
Are there any questions on that um, summary? I have a question. Yeah, absolutely. These days and years that they're talking about, is it the days and years that we know of today? There's a 24-hour day and 365 days in a year. Okay, so that's a really good question, actually. And yes and no. Um, yeah, it's the same days. The calendar was different at that time. When we look at prophecy um, in Revelation and in Daniel in the Old Testament, we always base it on a 360-year day. A 360-year day is a prophetic year, not 365. So whenever you look at prophecies, think 360. So this would be like the Jewish calendar? Yes. All the prophecies in Daniel are based on a 360-year day. And that's a, that's generally a rule throughout the whole Bible. Yep. Any other questions? Okay. I need my Bible. I don't, I, like I said, I'm a wanderer. I'm extremely hyperactive and ADHD, so I wander around and lose my stuff all the time. I have, I'm getting better at this. You know, I've been preaching for about a half a year now. I just stuck at church. And um, I'm getting so I hold still a little better. They told me I have to because we record on camera. And I only have a certain box I can move in. So it's actually about this big. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> because before I'd wander all over the whole sanctuary. I'm in the back of the church, in the front of the church, on the side. <laughs> it was bad. I just can't sit still. <laughs> All right. So the basic themes of Daniel we just covered. Um, God's sovereignty, faithfulness and autonomy over world history. The faithfulness of God. God rewards those who are obedient to him. And also, we just talked about the prophecy. It's four visions of future kingdoms, persecution, and the coming of Christ, and the return of Christ. How many were into Revelation study this morning? few of you? All right. So we're going to probably get a little up, a little bit overlap. So, um, yeah, that'd be good. All right. Let's go to Daniel chapter one. While you're turning there, what do I need to keep in mind when reading? I just, I'm going to go on a rabbit trail again. I hope you'll forgive me. I just got so much floating around. I was so excited, but, um, I put this in knowing I'd go on a rabbit trail. Um, one of the things that's been on my mind a lot lately is biblical interpretation. And we're going to use these principles. And the reason I'm covered is I want to use these principles as we go through. Um, I've been thinking about our kids. And, you know, I talked about Psalm 137 a little bit. I preached recently a series on, um, I used the resource uh, Freedom From Religion. It's a, a atheist website. It's actually a great website. I actually really enjoy their website because it gives me a lot of context of what the other side's thinking and how to deal with it. And we went through a series on how to deal with problem Bible passages, how to deal with contradictions. Yes, there are contradictions. I printed them off. It's like 30 pages. And how to deal with them to show that actually they're not contradictions. It was actually in the style of writing. It was in the, the context. It was in the who's speaking and to how to deal with those things. We talked about genre, which we talked about this morning with Psalm 137. Is it is it history? Is it poetry? Is it is it prophecy? Is it um what's the other one? Um drawing a blank, but it's okay. Is it is it like um 
I don't know. What genre is it? So, like, we looked at Psalm 137 this morning. Obviously, poetry. We talked a little bit about that. So, we want to think about genre. In Daniel, we're going to be looking at um, prophecy and history. It's actually both. It's in the section. And if you look at your Bible and you actually break it up, it's actually in sections. It's really nice and neat. You have the history section. You have the law. That was the other one. Law, history, poetry, prophets. Then the gospels are history. Acts is gospels. Then you have letters, and then you have revelation. We don't know what we're going to call that. So we look at genre, which we're looking at prophecy, but mixed with history. Um, we also looked at like things like biblical art. Like, where is it at in the timeline? And we don't need to look at that too closely today, other than that we're like pre-timeline, which is really fun. And um, we should also look at how are we going to read this? And this is what I really want to focus on today. And by the way... If, if that's something you're struggling with one of your kids or grandkids, they're like throwing out the Bible, come talk to me. I'm going to help you work through some of that. It's just something that's just really big in my heart right now about how do we interpret the Bible. All right. Let's read it like a Hebrew. The first thing we need to remember is to read it with Peshat. We say Peshat. Wow, that was weak. <laughs> yeah, Peshat. Peshat. Peshat simply means what's on the surface. What's it say? What's easy to pull from this text? It would be like, um, Jesus died on the cross. It'd be like, Jesus died on the cross. All right? Peshat's the surface. It's so simple. And a lot of times, it's what we talk about the most. And that's okay. Remez. Let's say Remez. 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 Remez is hints. I gave you an example of Remez today. I talked about the word iniquity. Ein, Bob, Noon. Whatever your eye hooks to multiplies. So what do we see in the hints? Another one would be numbers in Remez. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Remez when we go through chapter one. Remez is the hints. It's the hidden meanings. Um, I'm not very good at Remez yet. I'm still new to this. And I've looked up some stuff, and the Jews will actually make, like, acronyms. Um, and they're like, I'm like, where do they get that? I'm like, wow, okay. Um, another one that's really prevalent in the Bible is called reverse concentric symmetry. Very, 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 I told you, um, common. I heard you talking a little bit about what would be an example in the first class when I snuck in at the end. Look at um, the book of Isaiah, and he will be... Let's see, the spirit of the Lord will be on him, the spirit of wisdom, knowledge. I can't think of them all. There's six of them. I wasn't going to do this. <laughs> so anyway, it gives the six spirits of the Lord in Isaiah. And you see in the center, um, let me see. There's six of them, and the six of them, they actually go together. I wish I put this in front of me. I just didn't think I was going to go here. But what they're doing is they're doing A plus B plus C equals C plus D plus, I'm sorry, A plus B plus C equals C plus B plus A. So they're actually making a menorah. And in the center is the servant. So the spirit of the Lord is these characteristics. But in order to carry the characteristics of being filled with the spirit of the Lord, the center is a servant. So that's a remez. Um, so remez is the hints. The third one is Darash. Darash is what we do every week in church. It's the sermon. It's the inquiry. It's what do we, what kind of, what can we learn from this passage? All right. And we're gonna we're gonna hit a lot of Darash today. 
if I have time because I like to go over, but I have timekeepers. And the last one is sewed. And it's like the it's like the O and roll. So it's sewed. And sewed is the secret meaning, or what do you hear the Holy Spirit say? Sewed is what is the Spirit saying? All right. All right. Now we're actually going to start chapter one. And we're going to look at it with these four perspectives. We're going to start with the Peshat. We're going to look at the, the very basic meaning. And I'm going to have trouble because I'm going to want to grab the Ramez and stuff as I go through. I'm going to try to resist so we can go back and actually cover it. All right, Daniel chapter 1. I'm reading from the New King James. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, from whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. There's a lot there. So we have Jehoiakim, the third to the last king of Judah. He reigned 11 years, rebelled in the sixth year, sparking the portion and looting of the temple. And I love that. I love the um, subtleness of this or the understatement of this. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar came and took him. Think about the description I gave you earlier of what it meant. Nebuchadnezzar came and decimated him. And he did a deportation, made him a puppet king. He's like, you better serve me and I'll let you sit in the throne. But then they rebel and they actually have two more. So they're going to get decimated by Nebuchadnezzar. And it says that they actually took the best of the land. So they took these boys. Um, we know of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, and they're of, of, of the, king's, the king's palace. They're of royal lineage. They would have been educated um, as much as you could at 12 or 13 years old. They would have been good looking, um, without blemish. And they were made eunuchs. How are they made eunuchs? Let's not go in that detail again. We don't want to hear it again, do we? It just makes you kind of cringe. So they're made eunuchs and they were put into the service of Nebuchadnezzar. But it says that um, they had to change their worldview in order to come into the service of Nebuchadnezzar. And we notice here that Daniel does not object to this, object to learning the worldview of the foreign king. You remember, we're going to look at astrology and astronomy and the language of the Chaldeans. They're going to give them a lesson on what it means to serve their gods. And Daniel's like, okay, I can learn. I'm okay with that. Does learning another worldview, is that a sin? 
No, of course not. But it's time to guard your heart. You know, what have you done with your children that are 12 or 13 years old? Have you cemented a worldview? Now I'm preaching Darash. Um, have you cemented a worldview into them that at 13 years old, they can be dragged 1,500 miles to another city that is, I'm actually going to switch to my next slide just because I have notes for myself. Well, I don't know what happened to my notes. I must not have saved them. That's all right. Um, a city that's like 250 square miles. Um, it has, I don't remember how many miles of wall. Like, let's say 300 miles of wall, something like that. It's huge. This city that would be like going from Seabwing, all you've ever known is Seabwing, to New York City. They had a temple that had eight miles of walls by itself in that. And this, this city was just the lap of luxury. And not only are they being brought to the city, they're going to be given the best of the city in order to convert them to their worldview. Doesn't that sound like something you have going on today? We send our kids off to the best of colleges. And you got that one professor that says, well, your Bible says that God wants you to bash infants' heads against stones. What are you going to do with that? Are your kids prepared to deal with that? Daniel was at 13. It's a great challenge. And, and I, I was going to preach more on that later. So we'll, we'll get into that later. But they have to change their worldview. Then in verse 6, it says, Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, these are a lot better names than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are way better names. And Daniel means God is my judge. What a great name. God will be my judge. And Daniel lived this name the whole book of Daniel. And I think there's actually a remez here because it usually names Daniel by name. So they're saying God is my judge. And we're going to look more in that in a minute. But King Nebuchadnezzar's um, chief of eunuchs called him Belteshazzar. Whom Bel favors, whose Bel was the name of a god, or keeper of the treasures of the princes of Prince of Bel. Bel was another name for Marduk, who was their chief god. So now Babylon says, no, Yahweh is not your judge. Marduk is your god now. Does Daniel complain? No. Does it? It's changing your name to a name that's profane, a sin. Having somebody else do that to you. No, it's not in the Torah. So he doesn't object. But you, you see him keep his name throughout the scripture. So I, that's good. <laughs> then Hananiah means God is gracious or God's gift. Another beautiful name. He's named Shadrach which means illumined by the shad or the sun god. Mishael, who is like God, for God is great. His name, Meshach, who is like Shaq, who is the love and fertility goddess. Azariah, God is my helper. His name, Abednego, servant of Nego, the fire god. This had to crush him. Because in Hebrew culture, a name was everything. A name was a prophetic word over your life. 
But these boys weren't willing to accept this word over their lives. They took the names because it was not a sin to be called that. But they lived what their parents had named them. They lived that life. My, my pages are turning like crazy up here. This is great. <laughs> so literally, they were stripped of their spiritual identity. All right, I got to find my spot again. This wind is not good. I think I'll put it on the screen next time. Verse 7. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar to Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah of Bendigo. But Daniel... I love this. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into the favor. The word favor here, by the way, is said. A lot of you probably know that word. It means loving kindness and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should you should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are of your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I love that they named the real names. Please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. What time does the study get out? 11.45. 11.45. Okay, so I have 15 minutes. Perfect. So why are they okay with a new name? A new name is not a sin. But it is a sin to eat, eat food that God said they can eat. It is a sin in their minds to eat food that's been sacrificed to idols. So when it comes down to disobeying the law of God, Daniel put his foot down and said, no, I won't do it. I won't disobey God in this way. You can give me a new name. You can give me a new identity in your eyes. And he knew in his heart it wasn't true. But when it comes to actually disobeying God, I will not. And that took some guts. Because if the official disobeys Nebuchadnezzar, it's off of his head. He's done. So Daniel had guts there. And I'm going to go back and we're going to preach more on this in a minute. As for the four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all none was found, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. Remember, they're 13. <laughs> you imagine your 13-year-old, none found like them in all the kingdom? This is pretty amazing. 
And in all matters of wisdom and understanding, about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Awesome. So, let's look at the Remez. Does anybody see the Remez in this chapter? Or a Remez? I know, I'm sure there's more than one. I picked out two. And they're the same Remez, actually. Does anybody see a Remez in this chapter? A hint. It's an obvious one. What do you say? Ten. Yes, very good. Ten. Oh, you use the sheet? <laughs> Ten. Look at what it says in verse 12. Please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Now, the number 10 in Hebrew, uh, remember the letters and the numbers are the same. So the letter Yud, which is the first name of God, is also the number 10. All right. So think about this is that Yud or 10 is the first letter of the holy name of God. Very significant. It's also, um, it also is symbolized by hand. This is a picture symbol. And it can represent the hand of God in your life. All right. There's also 10 laws. 10 is a number of law. It's also the number of, um, of, uh, I'm sorry. It's a number of law. It's also the number of, of one of the numbers of perfection. So you have seven, three, and ten, I believe it are, are numbers of completion. All right? So we have ten laws. We also have in um, on Nisan 10, which would be uh, five days before Passover, it's the day that the lamb was chosen for inspection. Now look at what's happening here. Daniel is saying, test us for ten days in this matter. He's asking for a inspection. Jesus, he went and um, he was actually um, inspected after he was anointed by, with oil. Um, they would actually anoint them before inspection on their head. So when the woman anoints him on his head, remember he's anointed on his feet and his head. There's actually, I can't remember all the details of that. Um, but when he's anointed on his head, it's for inspection. And then they go to the place of the press and they're actually looked at for five days to see if they're without defilement. Daniel, when we see the number 10 here, is symbolizing an inspection. So Daniel is being inspected to find out if he's worthy for his calling. I find it interesting. You know, we look at, um, oh, here's another one. Uh, Tishri 10. This is um, the Day of Atonement in the fall. Um, it's, the, the, it's, the, it's the day of the year. It's the only day that they were commit, commanded to fast. And it's the day of repentance of sins. So Daniel is overcoming. It's actually a symbol of overcoming the enemy. So Daniel's actually overcoming the enemy by looking at the number 10 here as well. I said that 10 is one of the numbers of completion, um, of perfection. And it says in um, verse 20, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians. These are all the wise men, astrologers who were in the whole realm. Remember, Babylon was the center of learning. 
for that day. And it may have been one of the greatest centers of learning to ever exist. And this 13 year old boy who has been inspected by God, symbolized by number 10, is found to be the very best in the greatest city that might have ever been in existence. One of the greatest places of learning we find that he is not only better than them, he's 10 times better than them. So that's a remess. Does that make sense to everybody? Remess, okay. Darash, the inquiry, or the sermon. And I actually borrowed these points from a um, guy by the name of Rob Salvato. Salvato. Um, he does a sermon series on Daniel. It's about 14 hours, um, and it's really, really good. So I'd recommend it. You can Google it, probably find it online. I watched it last week. It's awesome. So Daniel, now I'm going to preach. This is the preaching part. So Daniel had an unnatural strength. He purposed in his heart. So like literally the word purpose is like to set your face towards something. And I looked it up um, in the Hebrew and the first, um, the letter, I believe the first letter was shin, which is symbolized by teeth. It's like set your teeth in purpose in my heart. So that was another remez there. I think it's a good example is Elijah in James chapter 5. It says Elijah was a man just like us. Daniel was a man just like you. But he was a man who just made a decision to have a purpose in his heart that he would serve the Lord no matter what. Daniel was a man, his parents were probably killed in the deportation. Um, if he had any younger brothers and sisters, their heads might have been bashed in. Um, he, he had the brick job done on his manhood. Um, this is a man who, despite all these difficulties, and if you think you have difficulties, you didn't experience anything like Daniel. He's a little boy dragged 1,500 miles to the greatest city on earth that's like Unionville or Seawing compared to New York City and is willing to stand up to the most powerful man who probably has ever lived. And we'll see more of, of why I would say that later on, that Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful of all the kings. He would stand up to him and say, I will serve the Lord no matter what. Can your 13-year-old do that? That's what we're training our kids to do. So we're, that's our heart, is to train our kids to do that. First um, Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 9 says this. I'm going to put on the screen for you. Grace and peace multiply to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As divine power has given to us, what, who, who's given what to who? We've been given his divine power. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Daniel added virtue, but where did it come from? It came from God. We take what God has already given to us and we add to our faith virtue, giving all diligence in it. 
So he had the virtue knowledge. Daniel educated himself, even though it was not a Christian university at all. <laughs> to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. For in these things are yours and abound. You will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten he was cleansed from his old sins. Daniel knew where he was at. He knew the power that he relied on. And he added to it every day, doing his very, very best in the world. How many here know that if you are in the world, do it with all of your heart as you're doing it for the Lord? Daniel did that for a pagan king. And he was blessed for it. All right. Galatians 5, 16 says this, and this is very familiar to most of you probably. I say, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the spirit. Walk in what? The spirit. That's right. We don't walk on our own. We have a helper. We have a comforter. We have God himself dwelling within us so that we can walk in him. And because of that, he gives us fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These were the attributes that Daniel had in his life. Whoops. All right. Daniel had an unashamed boldness. He requested not to defile himself. He was confronting a worldview in the midst of a very, very dangerous man, a very dangerous king. Four, Daniel, Azariah, Mishael, and um, Hananiah stood up in the midst of, I think it was probably a pretty big group. They were all standing there, four of them alone in a group of maybe 100, 200, I don't know. And they stood up and said, as for us, despite everything seeming to be untrue at this time, as it did seem that way, we will serve our God. You know, I was, I was actually kayaking the other day. I, I love to kayak. I built my own kayaks. And I'm out at Port Austin. And I went out of the harbor. It was coming along the other side. And there was a really strong wind. And um, it was a little bit choppy, but not too bad. And the wind was kind of coming offshore, but along the shore. And there's a break wall. And if you've been to Port Austin, it turns a 90 and goes way out. And I came around and I saw um, a young woman and a little girl on paddle boards, almost to the end of the break wall, drifting very fast. Because of that wind, we get a rip current around the break wall and they were moving. And I saw him and I smiled and um, so I just paddled up to him and the mother was trying to actually call for help on her cell phone because they were in big trouble. And so I went up to the little girl and just started talking to her. And you know, what about, are you guys having a good day today? Having fun out here? <laughs> you know, they're like 30 feet of water and she's eight years old. And, um, and I was in a position, I have a good boat. It's a long boat. I'm an experienced kayaker, but these were two, um, a w young woman and a little girl on a paddleboard who had no experience. 
And we were in the exact same position. Okay, gotcha. We were in the exact same position, but everything was different, wasn't it? They were in a position uh, on this place in the break wall. They were in trouble. And I was perfectly fine because I had more experience and I had trained myself in the art of kayaking, right? And so we, we told, I towed them all in, we, everything was good. But it was the same thing, I think, for these boys. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and Daniel were in a position, the same position as their peers, but their peers fell. And the reason is, is because they had strengthened themselves in the Lord through praise, through the teaching of learning of the word. And they had brought themselves to a place that they could stand in the midst of the worst trials. Psalm 119, 46 to 47 says, I will speak of your testimonies before kings. And I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. Um, they, when you do this, um, there's another verse, and um, I don't remember where it's at. But it says that when you stand up before kings and do what's right, you will find favor in the eyes of the king. And that's what happened. So um, I think I'm out of time. And, I, and it kills me because I got I a few more points. But we can we can actually pick it up here tomorrow. And... Um, and we will um, go into chapter two tomorrow. We're going to get into some prophecy tomorrow. So those of you that love Bible prophecy, we're going to hit it hard tomorrow. And um, it will be intense, but it will be fun. And I think it will be helpful. So uh, Kendall, would you mind coming up and just close us out in prayer? Thank you. Uh, would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for this time of teaching and learning. We thank you for... Uh, your word of scripture, we thank you uh, as we started this morning considering uh, a, a revelation given to John and as we end uh, this morning considering a revelation that was given to Daniel. We thank you uh, for the insights and for the way that we can learn and grow in our lives, Lord. We pray that Daniel might be an example to us, that we might train ourselves and our family up that uh, should the time ever come, that we need to be capable of standing firm in our faith, Lord, that we might be able to stand firm just as Daniel and his three friends did. We pray your blessing on the rest of our day, Lord. We pray for safety. We pray for fellowship. And we pray that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thanks, everybody. Also, tomorrow, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit portion, what the Spirit's saying. So um, we'll look forward to that tomorrow. Yeah, your metal chairs, you can just leave them right where they are since there's not another study here. We're good.